you glad we got the hope of a promised victory amen looky there there's Dwayne chair in person the legend lives <laughs> good to see you brother we are so honored good to see you this morning covenant and uh great weeks got a couple good weeks of weather it looks like we have coming so uh but I think the weatherman said don't get spoiled that winter's not over unfortunately but uh, but anyway, glad to see everybody. Great week. Uh, got a, uh, visitors with us. Oh, you did show up, Chelsea. But uh, Chelsea does have friends. We got proof of it. And uh, I only pick on her because we love her. But uh, this is, uh, don't tell, no, 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 hold on. Mary Lou and, uh, and then Cynthia. Look at that. Y'all, I should get applause for remembering those names. No, 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 no. <laughs> So, uh, friends of Chelsea, we're so honored to have them this morning. Make sure you let them know that we're grateful to have them here with us. And so, um, good to see everybody. If you're joining us online, 
I want to reach out. We had the opportunity, many of us, uh, a friend of Amanda, Gary, uh, some of y'all saw him Wednesday night. Uh, A great guy, had just a pleasure to get to know him and meet him. Uh, He says he watches this online when he can. If you are, Gary, we just want to say hi to you. It was a pleasure meeting you Wednesday, and hopefully we get to see you sometime soon. But uh, And then, uh, of course, Renee in New Mexico. John and Renee, we miss her greatly. Renee's usually always with us, but not wanting to exclude anybody. But if you're joining us online, we're honored to have you this morning. But most of all, we want to be a blessing to you and do so by praying for you in any way we can. At the bottom right corner of the screen, you'll see a prayer tab. Uh, I encourage you to click on that. That is private, secure. It only goes to one source and one individual. But we want to be praying for you in every way we can. Uh, questions about the service, just or just let us know you're there. Richard's online with you. Say hi, but uh, we're glad you're with us this morning. A um, couple announcements here. One, a collective is coming up. I know we've had trouble getting back on our schedule with our collective group, but uh, it will be back on this Tuesday at 630 at Sam and myself's house, so uh, if you're part of that group or you're interested in it, let us know, reach out, but that'll be back going Tuesday. And then our Wednesday night service is we're journeying through Ephesians as well. It's just like we're doing James on Sunday. We're walking uh, in an expository manner, you know, verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, so I encourage you to be a part of that. Then uh, we have church cleaning coming up. That'll be February the 3rd at 9 a.m., Thank you so much for last month. We had great participation. We did a lot of work as far as getting down, uh, bringing down Christmas decorations. We got it all knocked out in a little bit over an hour. So if you can, mark your calendar. Come be a part. Uh, many hands make the light, the, the work light or something like that. There's a good quote about that somewhere. <laughs> but back to right now media. Don't, don't get tired of me bringing this up. It's going to take us a while but we need to make sure we have the opportunity. As we said, we're going to a new uh, application platform, uh, not to use big IT terms because they're over my head as well, but we're going to a new software program for the church that's going to be all-inclusive of everything. I know in the past a lot of people, which I respect, are not on social media, Uh, And that's a good thing, but you miss a lot of information. You're like, I never got that information about this or that. This new platform, once you go through a little bit of work on your end, you'll be able to have access to everything church calendar. You'll get text and you'll get emails both. You don't have to rely on social media or phone calls or anything. But what we do need for you to do is use this QR code. If you click on that QR code, If you know anything about those type of apps, it will download the information you need. If that doesn't make sense or you tried, it didn't work for me like it didn't for me. (laughs) I just gave my phone to Mark, and lo and behold, it was an operator error. Go figure. So if you're like me and you got operator error problems with such things, get with Mark, get with Richard. These individuals can help you do that. But if you'll do the QR code, Get it on your phone, set up your password. It's a one-time thing. And then eventually we're about to roll out the, the whole app. And what you'll have on your phone, on the, what do you call the face of it, home screen or something, is that what you call it? That main screen on your phone, you'll have our little CF logo. Only thing you have to do is hit that on your phone, and it, you got access to everything in the church. The church calendar, announcements. Anything and everything you'd want to know is right there at the tip of your finger, 
and we're rolling that out week by week, new aspects of it. Okay, so I encourage you to do that. Now, with it is what's called Right Now Media will be embedded in that. Right Now Media is something I'm personally very, very excited about. I'm already getting very comfortable with it. I enjoy it immensely. There is an endless amount of pastors and teachers on there. Pardon me? That do short videos, uh, devotions as such, that you can just click on those by subject titles, by authors, by speakers. And it is a, you know, what's the word? And there's a plethora of information on there. It's a great way to do personal devotions and, and, uh, and going through God's, uh, you know, through the Bible. So right now, media is a part of that. So I know I'm talking about a lot of information. Don't let it intimidate you. Just be patient. Get with us. We'll get you individuals, help you set it up on your phone. And I know you'll be blessed by it greatly. And then the third aspect of it. Some of us, you may have saw out in the lobby, we have little stands out there that have a bigger QR code on there. In the past, if you give online, either by online giving or text giving, in the past, you've seen something similar to this. Well, not similar. This is what you've seen if you give online or something. We're supposed to have it up there. Maybe it'll pop up here in a second. Is it coming? Uh, anyway, if you've used our past online giving, you're familiar with it. Now, if you use the QR code that's in the lobby with your phone, you will, that's what you've seen in the past, okay? Now, with the QR code in the lobby and what will be set up on your phone with the app, it'll, you'll see that format. Nothing changes. It's a lot more streamlined. It's a lot easier. You got the one-time weekly, monthly. You can do it auto. You see funds, you got, you know, general fund, youth fund, kids zone, any type of funds we have going on in there, you can click on it and the dollar amount that the Lord puts on your heart. So you'll see these in the lobby. You'll see one by the exit doors and you'll see one as you're coming into the sanctuary. Does not, we're not saying you have to give that way. You can still give cash. You can still give by check. Those are still there. But if you're familiar and you're more comfortable and you just want to do it through text or your credit card or debit card that's what those are there for so i know this is a lot of information thank you for being patient and we'll continue to go through this here for the next several weeks until we get a comfort level but if you have any questions about what i talked about get with mark get with richard these guys can uh, get you directed and set up and uh, get it done for you amen Good. I don't like talking about that probably more than you like hearing it, but we need to do it. It's going to be a good thing for the church moving forward. So I think that is it, as far as I know. Uh, good. Yes, you may, ma'am.
Hey, man, thank you, thank you. Man, great, that's going to be better in the sermon now, Shirley. We, I, I got to try to follow that. But anyway, so we can go home after that, but we're not, so if we could, <laughs> if all of our men can come forward and we'll pray over our service this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings that you bless us with. Bless us all this food and everything that we do today. Protect us in all of our moments in our life. Forgive us for all our many sins. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to continue our time of worship.
teaching the kids I would say don't you hate going somewhere with adults and the only kid there and they go yeah we hate that well just imagine God had all these angels in heaven that just worshiped him but he said let's let's make man in our image I don't want to be the only kid at the party and he came down in the day and walked with his creation and even though they walked with God in the garden, he visited them in the evening. They still ate of the tree. That kind of takes a burden off us. Sometimes we think Christianity is balancing good and evil. It's really not. The law was about, not abolished, but the law was fulfilled in Christ. Christ said, y'all can't do this. <laughs> I'm going to have to take all that sin for you. So you can walk in freedom toward me and with me. So you can have my mind. That's where that imagery comes. Let's make him in our image. In the New Testament, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. I fall so short of that. There are days I wouldn't want the worst person I know to know what's in my mind. Let alone the holy, just, righteous God. But I'm so thankful we can get on our knees and we can say, Lord, cleanse me. I tell my kids this means sorry in sign language. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm rubbing my heart. I bruised the heart. I hurt myself by sinning. And I'm sorry, Lord. And we can just come here and pray. And we can take 1 John 1, 9, confess our sins because he's faithful and just. When he died on that cross, he died past sin, future sin. All of it's on him. So let's just put it back there. Lord, please forgive me. Help me walk in righteousness. Help me change. Help me have your mind so that on my worst day, you look in my heart and my head and it humbles me instead of disgraces me. So let's just come pray to him. That's the only recourse I know we have is go to him for everything.
Thank you, guys. All right, we're going to jump back into James this morning and continue on before we get into the Lord's Supper. Uh, so excited about this truth this morning. Um, as we continue, if you recall, last week, as we closed out chapter 1, we got a, uh, a strong charge by James himself. James says, after directing us, he says, if you really want to know, I'm paraphrasing, speaking for James, he says, if you really want to know what Christianity is about, if you really want to do what I'm calling you to do by way of your testimony through your salvation, he told us in verse 29, he said, to feed and to take care of the widows and the orphans. A direct charge. He says, this is undefiled religion. This isn't man's religion. This is God's religion. When we commit to serving, praying for, meeting the needs of the widows and the orphans, that's a strong charge. Well, today as we jump into chapter 2, James kind of stays in this mindset and he directs us towards another truth, another warning concerning our walk that we need to take to heart. And it has to do with respect of persons. As it says in the King James, or partiality, and other text. James says, don't, don't be a person that shows respect of person. Don't have partiality in your life. I'm sure there is a part, I'm sure most of us a small part, that when we see respect or a person or favoritism or partiality, however you want to use the word, when we see it in play and in action, it's very discouraging to our spirit. But we need to take these words to heart and we need to make sure it's not in our personal walk in the Lord. And this is what James is calling us to. So let's pray. We're going to jump into this. And a truth that the uh, Holy Spirit revealed that drives this point home. And I hope that it blesses us all here today. Father, thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity, the Spirit that is moving abundantly this morning. I thank you for that. I ask you will continue to speak to our hearts. Father, I pray for every heart that's here this morning that we set aside this life, this world, these things that are distractors in our life, that we can give you our attention and uh, that we can submit ourselves to your word, that we can grow in your grace. In Christ's name, amen. So if you would, look with me here in verse 1 to James chapter 2. It says, my brothers, talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. We know James is, is talking you know, directly to us. Show no partiality. Or the King James is say, don't be a respecter of persons. As you hold the faith in who? In Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lord of what? Glory. Now, now this is a strong statement because when you look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, I think it is. Oh, there it is. Thank you, Mark. Verse 16. It says, who alone is in mortality? Who dwells in unapproachable light? Whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. There's only one that is due glory. 
There is only one whose glory is so glorious that the scriptures say we can't even look upon it. Remember when God encountered, or God, when Moses encountered God on Mount Sinai? He couldn't even look upon him. And so there's only one that's due partiality. There's only one that's due respect of persons. And it's the God of glory. We have this glorious God, and we have fallen man. The only valid distinction is that according to was it, uh, Romans 8, it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody. So the point being, if we're going to start showing partiality, to who? Who's due partiality? Because he's a pastor, he should get partiality? Because he, he's a, a driving force of industries in the business world? Gets partiality because they're a famous movie star, athlete, or even on the local level. They, they got more wealth or more possessions. Or they got more lofty titles in their jobs they do. Does that earn partiality to them? We say no. But we got to know that. Look what it says in verses 2 through 4. James goes on to say, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in a shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions? among yourselves and become, here's a word, become what? Ah, judges. There's only one that's glorious. There's a story, tried to shorten, it goes to the fact that uh, a pastor is getting ready for assembly that morning, he looks through that back door and comes a man that is very disheveled. I mean, you can tell clearly he's a homeless man. Pastor just Gave him an eye, didn't pay much attention, thinking one and done, he'll be gone. Next Sunday comes around, he saw the same man in the same clothing. Pastor approached the man. I said, I think I saw you last week. He says, yes, sir. He says, and you came back this week? He says, yes, sir. He said, I enjoyed it. He said, well, okay, just kind of let it go. Third week, same thing, same man, same clothing. This time the pastor pulled him to the side of the congregation before the church says, Look, if you're going to keep on coming here, you can kind of let, you're going to need to clean yourself up some and make yourself more presentable. He said, okay, sir, fourth week, third week, same thing, same man, same situation. The pastor this time said, look, I know I've talked to you. I'm going to challenge you. You need to go and you need to pray to God and you see what God tells you you ought to do. He goes, I'll do that, sir. Next week came back, same man, same appearance. He said, did you take the time to even pray to God and see what he said? He goes, I did. What did he said, what did God say? God says, I don't know. I can't help you. I've never been in that church. Now, there's some humor to it. But sadly, in our culture today, there's some truth to it. We've got to be warned of this. We can't be distinct, you know, distinction towards people. If not, God says we take on the role of judge. Look what it says in verse 5. 
Listen, my beloved members, has not God chosen those of you who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Think of our 12 disciples. I say ours, God's 12 disciples. Unlearned, ignorant men. Fishermen, most of them, some of them. The key ones we know. You know they stunk. And God took these 12 unlearned and ignorant men, and other than Paul at the end, and it wasn't until after his conversion, it was only Paul that ever had a, you know, a social status that had influence and money at one time, though he surrendered all that to serve God. None of these 12 disciples would have made it into church leadership today. I hope you know that. Not talking to you, I'm talking to me. One of these 12 disciples, unlearned, ignorant, fisherman, working by his hands, scraping up and living day by day, you probably wouldn't find any of them in church leadership today. Now, Paul could have been in church leadership. Why? Yeah, Paul had money. He had influence. He had education. Paul had a social status. But yet these 12 men turned the world upside down for God. And they had nothing to offer but the Word of God. That's all they had to offer. They had the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They had the Word of God living with them, then dwelling in them. And then on top of all that, they were given stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they changed the world with that. And every one of them died because of it, murdered, killed because of it. They didn't become popular. They weren't made church leaders. They weren't even given churches. The only thing they were given was the power to influence man for Jesus Christ. But when God says, they mean something to me, Look what it tells us in Revelation 21, 14. And the wall of the city, this is the eternal kingdom, had 12 foundations. And on the 12 foundations were the names of who? Business tycoons? The richest people in history? Those that accomplished the most fame and fortune? Those that influenced cultures or swayed history? No, the 12 disciples' names are engraved, and we will see their names on the eternal kingdom when we get there. And these were unlearned, ignorant men that our society today, a lot of times, treat them as outcast or avoid them. It goes on in verses 6 through 9, that you have dishonored the poor man and are not, and, excuse me, are not the rich ones who oppressed you and the ones who dragged you into the court? Are they not the ones who blessed me in the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, respect to persons, you are committing what? Sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
This isn't kind of a sin. This isn't one of those all kind of a gray sin. This isn't something, well, God would prefer that we don't do that. No, it's a sin. When we discredit somebody because we judge them, as the Scriptures say, that they don't meet a standard that we think they ought to meet, that they aren't living up to what they should be living up to, that they're a, a, a liability versus an asset. God says it's a sin if you look towards that and judge it. Honoring and serving with partiality is a sin. Doing so, one becomes a transgressor of the law, God says. The point being, partiality is not a partial sin. It's not a gray sin. It's real sin, according to verse 12. It tells us, so speak, so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty and freedom. James is telling us that the only judgment is of the Lord. And that judgment comes in how we treat and serve the less fortunate around us. We need clarity and understanding that we're being judged on whether or not we're judging others. Look what it says in Matthew 7, 1. Judge what? Not. Because as soon as you start judging, what happens to us? We get judged by the righteous judge. When we judge others, are we judging in righteousness? No. We have no means by which to judge somebody. Now, let, let me throw this in. I'll try not to chase a rabbit here. We are called and we have the spiritual authority when you see a brother or sister in Christ sinning. When we see a brother or sister in Christ that has allowed sin to come into their life and they're practicing that sin, we are scripturally called to go to them and to confront them with that sin. Brother Lloyd, can I take you to lunch next week? Yeah, sure, Todd. And at lunch, hey, brother, I love you. Because I love you, I notice so-and-so. Can I pray for you? That's scriptural, one-on-one. -on -one. Now, if Lloyd says, Todd, that's none of your business. I don't think it's a big deal. Well, then I should go and get a brother in Christ, and then both of us should go and talk to our brother. But that's not judgment. That's iron sharpened iron. That's holding each other accountable to truth. Judgment is when I think that Lloyd's not living to my standard. That's personal judgment, and I cannot judge. Man cannot judge in righteousness. Only God, the God of glory, can judge without partiality. He can judge clearly. Look what it says in verse 13. This gets a deeper force. For judgment, that's our part. Man, this, this is one of those verses I, I got all kinds of... For me, personally, highlighted, underlined, circled, supporting Scripture here. But for judgment, by way of our part, is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The point being, we will be judged by God without the same mercy we judge others. Catch that? In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, I don't, I think it's verse 7 maybe. He says, blessed are those that show mercy because they will be judged mercifully. 
when we're more apt to bring people in to serve and meet their needs rather than pointing a finger at them and me walking in my ministry and Todd's like, I don't know why I shouldn't be helping them. I've helped them before. They just keep on doing the same thing. I don't know why they do that. Then Todd is bringing judgment upon his own life without the mercy of God. I don't know about you. I need the mercy of God. I'm nothing. I'm dead without God's mercy. And if I try to judge others, if I take on the form of righteousness and judge others by whatever standard I use, as soon as I judge somebody else, then I bring God's judgment on me without God's mercy. We can't afford to be judged without God's mercy because we'd be dead in our sins. We can't confuse this passage. It's not a spiritual game. It's not that, oh, if I give and help the poor and, and help the, the less fortunate, then I get. No, it's not a health and wealth prosperity. It's not playing a spiritual game. It's not about do good and good will be done to you. It has nothing to do with that. God says we are called to serve the poor. The spiritual truth is, do we grasp? This is what James is really trying to point us to. Do we grasp the fullness, the power, the grace, and the mercy of the gospel in our lives? The point is, do we understand that the poorest of poor that we see in our society, for whatever means they're poor, that the poorest of the poor, the spiritually weak, that there is no distinction or difference between them and us? Well, yeah, there is, because I've been in church all these years, and I've grown, and I teach Sunday school, or I teach this class, or I give, or I help start this church, or I, I give to, to, you know, the orphans and things, and to charities and ministries. I don't matter. Sin is sin, is it not? So before we start judging one, because for some reason they don't meet a standard that we set in our own righteousness, that we think we're better off. No, we all got saved, saved by the same grace, did we not? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Not to some, to all. You know, well, yeah, but I was there, but I made better with my life. No, we didn't do anything good in and of ourselves. The Bible says all good and perfect gifts come from the Father of lights from above. We didn't accomplish anything on our own. Our talents, our skills, our abilities... That's God's grace and mercy working through our lives. James says we have no right, no, we have no spiritual foundation by way of the gospel to bring judgment or cast partiality or be a respecter of persons towards somebody based on our standard. Because when God judges, he doesn't judge classes, does he? He doesn't judge socioeconomic levels. We're all going to stand in the same line. And we stand in that line, it's not going to be based on, you know, what's your credit score, what your balance is, what do you possess? Oh, you're in this line, you're in that line. No, we're one line with one righteous God. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter. 
Look in Matthew chapter 10. This gives us a great perspective of it. Let me read a little bit with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It's talking about the rich young man. As he was sitting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, being Christ, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? There's no good except God. You know the commandments. Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, defraud, honor your mother and your father. And he said to him, Oh, teacher, these have I kept from my youth. I'm off to a good start, Brother Lloyd. I'm doing good. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said unto him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said unto them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for such a man. Now, that's not strictly just money only. This rich young man had money. He had influence. He had power. He had possessions. He had social status. He had everything that you would long for in life. I say you our culture longs for in life. God says, get rid of all that stuff. Give up your influence. Give up the social power you have over man. Give up all that stuff. Surrender that stuff. Give it to the poor, and let's go reach the poor in spirit. No, he didn't want that. He just wanted what he could get. How can I get to heaven? Goes on to say in verse 31, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. There are few, if any, who have the least that are first in our society. Again, Probably none of the disciples would have made it into church leadership today. But yet their names are engraved on the temple of God in eternity. They're first to God. Listen to this. Should be on the screen for us. Partiality, respect our persons, favoritism, whatever you want to put in there. Partiality persists in the hearts of those who seek a kindred spirit togetherness unity the word kindred kindred spirit with that of their own what desires we see it in our culture today we see it unfortunately in the family of god today you have sex within the church these folks hang out with these folks these folks hang out with these folks you see it in society to a great degree we don't have undisrupted unity of the Spirit. Well, their life are not my interest. When you look at chapter 2, 
we've all been given the call to minister and to serve the poor, just like at the end of chapter 1, to serve the widows and the orphans. I say all this to this point right here, then we got to get to the Lord's Supper. When I was studying this this week, over and over and over, the Holy Spirit kept taking me back to John chapter 12. And just being familiar with John chapter 12, I was like, I couldn't see the correlation. I was like, I don't, I, I couldn't see it. I'd go read it. Don't know where you're going, Holy Spirit. Kept on reading it and reading it. And then finally, the Holy Spirit got through my thick, hard head. Jesus is telling us in John chapter 12, just as James tells us here in chapter 2, this life work in eternity is about isn't about us it has nothing to do with us we like to think it does and we approach it sometimes judgmental of what's going on around us and those in our life and let me see i just want to get this point across we have this human and spiritual problem it's called sin. It's a sin problem. We know that. And when we show partiality, we are acting in obstinance to God. We're bringing sin into our lives, sin that allows us to be judged without the mercy of God. But here's my point. The Lord will always have to do a work in us, discipleship. The Lord will always have to do a work in us before he can do a work through us. We understand that. The reason that is such a true statement, biblical statement, though it's not a scripture, it is a biblical statement because we can do nothing good in and of ourselves. God's going to do a work on us before he can do a work through us. I say this in the fullest of love. to us and to myself this morning. Could the reason revival isn't working or producing fruit in our lives, in this church, in our homes, in our families, in our culture, could the reason be that revival is not taking place in and through our lives is that we have become the spiritual blood clot? Are we the spiritual blood clot that's hindering the fruit of our salvation being planted in the poor around us? I don't know. That's an individual situation between each heart and God. Are we looking instead for the things we prefer, the things we desire, the things we want? Are we looking for self-edification, applause, position, attention, recognition, are those things more important to us than just surrendering to what God wants us to do? Because the vast majority of the work of God is not going to bring attention. The vast majority of work in a ministry for God does not get applause, not by the world. You may get some applause within Christendom itself. Most works of ministry for the kingdom of God is sacrificial. And there's nothing rewarding in the temporal of it other than 
the blessings it brings upon us through the Holy Spirit. But is that what we want? Such self-partiality prevents us from dying so revival can flow through us and minister to those less fortunate. James is telling us, don't judge others. Don't be a respecter of persons. But be a source of spiritual revival that God can bring through you. If we have been blessed, and we all have to different measures, by society standards, yes, there's going to be some more blessed than others. God never said you had to be the rich young man. God never told me that I had to give up everything to answer my call. No, we don't have to sell everything and give to the poor. God just knew the rich man's heart. He was leading him to a point to let him see what the spiritual blood clot was in his life. God knew that he would never get anything done through him until he could do a work on him, and he didn't want to work on him being done. He just wanted. That's what we got to make sure we don't do. Again, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but I want to be an epicenter for revival. Personally, I pray it every day. God, use me today to be an encouragement, to a blessing to anyone and everyone. If it's a phone call, if it's a text, if it's an encounter, if it's a lunch, if it's standing in line, God, I just want to be an epicenter of revival. I want you to be able to use me to bless anybody and everybody. Rich, poor, it doesn't matter. I want to be a part of a body who is super sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. I want that kindred spirit with folks that are just more worried about what the, God wants to get done through them instead of what they're asking God to do through them. God's way, God's will, God's purpose. And let that Holy Spirit flow freely and not restrict it. Don't let blood clots be in our spiritual lives that that work cannot flow freely. It only flows when we choose to allow it. Looking for more of God and not satisfied with synthetic religion. This is what James was telling us in verse 29. This is an undefiled religion. When you serve and minister to the orphans and the widows, now he's saying, don't be a respecter of person. We're going to continue that on. Don't throw the poor in there either. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be satisfied with synthetic religion that just makes me feel good like a spiritual sugar rush that we come in and get on a Sunday morning or get on a Wednesday, maybe even an occasional Bible study, and we load up on some spiritual sugar, and then we crash by midweek. This is it's not what God's calling us to. So how do we do it? Close with this. And let's look at John chapter 12. 
And this is what the Holy Spirit just hit me between the eyes with. The point is, before God can ever birth or rebirth something, there has to be death first. You ever thought about that? Before God can ever birth something or rebirth something, there has to be a death first. Look at John chapter 12, 20 through 24 with me. I'm sorry, Mark, can we go back to 20? Well, let's let, stay there, let, let, time's sake. So here's John 12, 20, 24. Truly, truly, Jesus is speaking. Your scriptures will probably be in red. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains what? Alone. But if it dies, what does it do? Bears much fruit. Even Jesus, God in flesh, wasn't excused from this truth, was he? The only way we got our eternal life was by his sacrificial death. God in flesh lived up to his own word. Before life could ever come to us or to us or rebirth in us, Christ died. He died to himself. We know 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus Christ gave up, far as we know eternally, but we know in the temporal form, though while he was still God, he was 100% human, he gave up certain aspects of his eternal authority. He wasn't omnipresent. The power he had only dwelt through the Holy Spirit within him. He gave up equality with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We know that in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, we've been taught that, that when the thousand-year millennial reign is over, he says he turns the kingdom over to the Father and the Holy Spirit and ranks himself under. Made himself less than the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's how much Christ died so we could have. And he did that without respect or persons. He did that for all of his creation. Nothing can be born or become new unless it dies. So how can we claim to want what God wants and not be willing to die? Remove that spiritual blood clot unless we're willing to die to that that hinders our life from being like Christ. I don't know what that is. But as your pastor, I know there's things in my life that get in my way. They definitely get in the way of the Holy Spirit working through me. And when I read this, I started thinking, man, these things in my life that I have not completely died to, and they become stumbling blocks in my ministry. If you want to know what they are, I'll... For time's sake, they're too long to waste your time. But I'll be happy to share them with you. And when I read this, I'm like, Todd, you're in this every day. You're studying it. You're sharing it. You're paying it forward. You're transferring these truths. And yet some of these things are in your own life. you got your own spiritual blood clots. And John's saying, we, we got to die to these things. Unless we die, they're going to hinder 
our ministry and it's going to cause us to be a respecter of person and that can be our own selves that's the biggest problem we respect ourselves so much that we get in the way of everything else like i said jesus wasn't immune to it he came died on the cross buried in the earth and he rose again. He conquered our sin by his great love. And he died to do that. He died to self to do that. I came to do the will of my father. Thus the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God can only say that based on what Christ did. And Christ died so we could have life. He did it without partiality. He did it without expectations. He did it without demands. He did it to offer us a free gift. Romans 6, 23, those wages of sins is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that only came about through his death. Do we have the opportunity for life? So James is telling us we can't turn around and be callous about who and what we are or what we want or what our desires are because those are nothing but spiritual blood clots to what God's calling us to. Don't be a respecter of persons. And serve those and minister to those and help those that are less fortunate. None of us are better than anybody else. We say that all the time, our kids. You're no better than anybody else. But we got to live that. Amen? Amen. Gentlemen, if you can come forward. Bob, could you grab our children's church for us, please, sir? Or Don, one of you? Thank you. the children opportunity to come in here and join us we'll be in first corinthians 11 and then we'll look at hebrews 11 come on in guys Y'all would come find your parents real quick. It's funny to see. I we had four, so I'm saying this myself. It's funny the parents of kids come in screaming and yelling. They're like, "That's not my kid." They're like, no. "Kids like dad." You're like, "I don't know." <laughs> come on in, guys. Grab a seat with your parents if you would. I always want the kids to be involved in this. It's so important for them to understand and grasp. Is that everybody? All right. There we go. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper,
it's a time of great reverence, a time for us to slow down and make sure we direct our hearts, our thoughts towards the most important thing, and that's the work of Christ and our salvation through the gospel. But before we approach the Lord's Supper, we've got to make sure, as James talked about, we've got to make sure there's no sin in our life that we're allowing to creep in, whether it's what we talked about this morning with partiality or other sins that we allow to creep into our lives. We're told scripturally not to approach the Lord's Supper without a clean heart and a humble spirit. It tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, looking at verses 28, He says, let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, humbling themselves, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Meaning when we have unconfessed sin in our lives that we refuse to acknowledge, and yet we want to participate in bringing glory the glorious God, and we got that sin on our soul. We're bringing judgment upon ourselves, damnation upon ourselves. So let's take a moment here where we're at privately. We'll just take 30 seconds or so and uh, between us and the Lord individually to get our hearts right with the Lord. Amen. Uh, the many times as we do the Lord's Supper, you've heard myself, Brother Brad, others get up here and talk about the imagery between the bread and the juice, that we use wafers that are uh, unleavened. They don't have leaven in them, or yeast in them, I should say, that causes it to rise. And we know yeast is a form of bacteria to our body. And yet there is no bacteria. There's nothing unholy in the body of Christ and so we use this bread this unleavened bread to the best we can to symbolize the body of Christ that was broken for us that was sacrificed for us and in the same light we personally we use grape juice we use juice uh, we use wine wine only becomes wine by fermentation that fermentation process is still bacteria, yeast that grows within the wine that turns it into alcohol. But again, the blood of Christ was pure. It was without stain, without blemish. And so we use these two imageries, and, and for the children that are in here, these pictures so much what Christ did, exactly what he went through for us. The scriptures tell us that without the shedding of blood, the blood that poured out of the body of Jesus Christ that dripped off his feet is the same very blood that the Holy Spirit scooped up and on the mercy seat in heaven, on the right hand of God, the scriptures tell us that that, mercy, that blood was placed on the mercy seat. No sins can be forgiven without the shedding of blood. Our blood, tainted, sin-filled, The only righteousness in it is because of the work of Christ. We have nothing to offer. We have no shedding that we can offer. 
And so when we partake of this, when we drink the juice, we know it's symbolizing the shedding of that blood. When we eat of the wafer, it talks of his body that was broken and bruised for us. For the little ones, what Christ went through his body from the thorn of crowns placed upon his head to his face. It says the Roman guards struck him. They, the word buffeted in the King James. Guys, give me your attention. Buffeted him. That means with a closed fist, like you would like a, in a fight. They struck his face and they disfigured the face of Christ. They yanked the beard out of his face. And they did all this to slander him, to mock him. Then on top of all that, they finally took him to a, a, a town center in the middle of a, of a little town, a little village, and they tied him to what was called a whipping post. It was a post so tall, and they had his hands tied, and they tied Christ to it. And the scripture says, then the Roman guards took what was called a cat of nine tails, was the description. It was a wooden handle strap. It had leather straps on it. And attached to those leather straps were a version of a claw, of a metal hook or claw. Like if you think of a fishing lure, but heavier. With Christ strapped to that on his knees, they took that and they hid his body repeatedly and ripped the flesh off his body. And I know some of you are young. I know that's a graphic image. But I think it's fair to understand that they couldn't beat him to death. And so they thought they would bleed him to death. And while they couldn't kill him with that, then ultimately we know they nailed him to a cross. From doctors to scientists, to theologians, it is a complete consensus, 100% agreeance that the most hard, difficult form of being killed is hung on a cross because it's not a one and done. His death did not come until his body could no longer hold his weight. And it says his shoulders would have to be disjointed, dislocated, to where he just hung to the point that his lungs collapsed and he could not get breath. That's what Jesus went through for us. And I do it as much as everybody. We do it in sermons after sermons, and we just throw out the words, oh, he died for us. Oh, he died for us, all right. But he just didn't die. He died for us. In the most cruel, harsh, sacrificial way. But because of that, because he was willing to die, like that grain of seed, he was willing to die and be buried. And to prove that he was God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was brought back to life. He defeated our sin. That same sin that we deserve to be on the cross. 
we deserve to have the same death that Jesus had. Some of you children maybe can better illustration for you. You do something wrong, and whatever form of punishment your parents do, and you got an older sibling that tells your parents, say, no, I'll tell you what, don't, don't punish my brother or sister, mom and dad, punish me and let them go on to do what they want to do. Now, that doesn't compare to what Christ did, but does that give you a little bit of a picture of what Christ did for us? Christ says, no, 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 no. I don't want my children to die. I'm going to die for them. Now, that should touch our hearts even as adults. Adults, I take it to the court of law. You're convicted of a crime, and rightfully so. You are guilty in the crime you committed. And the juror or the judge says, you're due death. By whatever means that state's going to execute you. And somebody steps up and says, Your Honor, take me and kill me instead and let them go. Same imagery on a higher level. This is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I know some people say, Todd, sometimes you're just a little graphic on it. But that's reality. Sometimes that's part of our problems. We want to put icing over the hard parts and just we just want the sweet part. The death of Christ on the cross was as real as death could be. But the power and the beauty of it is that we don't have to go through that. I say, if, if you grasp that, if there's a time that you came to that understanding and you accepted that and you understand the depths and the weight of that and the, and the graphic imagery of that, and that moves you and it stirs you and you're grateful and you're humble, who have you shared it with? You'd be surprised, I'm telling you. You'd be surprised what we just talked about. A vast percentage of our culture is even aware of some of the things we just mentioned in here. They wouldn't know what you were talking about. It all comes by way of faith. Because we had nothing to do with that. When Christ died on the cross, not a one of us in here was born yet. And every one of our sins were future sins. But yet when Christ hung on that cross, everybody in the sound of my voice, Jesus knew you. And knew everything about you. Every sin you were ever going to commit and will commit. Christ took to the cross with him. There's nothing we do that surprises God. When he hung on that cross for six hours, the sins of the world were placed upon his sinless soul. Every one of your sins and my sins were laid upon the soul of Jesus Christ. And yet the only thing we have to do is by faith act upon it. Just accept it 
I'll give you this first, and we'll get into the taking of the bread and the juice. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed the ark. You say, what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? When God revealed to Noah the flood that was coming, that made no sense to Noah. He'd never heard of a flood. He didn't know what water was. He didn't know what rain was. But the scriptures tell us if we have been told in things unforeseen, i.e. heaven, nobody's laid eyes on heaven, but God's told us about it. He's warned us about it. Noah said in faith he built the ark for 40 years. He labored in something he didn't have a clue about. He only had a promise about God promised him it was going to rain and he was going to need an ark. That's all he knew, and he labored in that. But here's the key. Noah labored in it. Did it say Noah prayed and waited for God to show up with a hammer and nails? No. No, he built the ark. This right here is the revealing of things unseen and unknown. But we're told about them. Our job in the same faith that we use to accept Christ and his work is the same faith that we need to labor in what is unseen and unknown. God doesn't provide the labor. God provides the resources. It's our job to take his resources and to labor by faith in what he did for us through the cross. Amen? I'm going to ask Rex if he would pray over the bread. Praise the Lord, Father, come this morning. Thank you, Father, that we be worthy, Father, to receive this bread. Father, represent the body that was broken for our sins, Father. And just pray, Father, that there anyone here, Father, who knows not Jesus, this is the perfect opportunity to come forth, Father, and, and uh, claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, and their stands to be washed away, Father, and covered by uh, bread of, and broken for Jesus Christ. Be with us today, Father, just as we go and pray and pass it out, Father, that we accept it, Father, and we eat it, Father, in remembrance of Jesus, the body was broken for our sins.
That doesn't even do it justice, does it? You think of the imagery that we went into detail about and we hold this little wafer. What a poor comparison. That kind of shows about the effort of what man can do for God. We come up with a wafer and put some illustration about no yeast in it and, and, and try to make that not suffice, but try to emulate what his body went through. What humility we should have. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. It says, when he had given thanks, being Christ, he broke it, the bread, with the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Brad, if you would, pray over our Jews. Most gracious Heavenly Father, search our hearts, let us come to you in all humility, gratefulness, thankfulness for that, that you loved us first. You loved us so much to do this for us. Thank you. We never repay that. We know that. Let's go forward and do your will for us and for those in the world. In your name I pray.
we mentioned earlier tells us Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 9. It says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The work that Christ did is mind-boggling, so to speak. But the power is in his blood. It washed away our sins and makes us as white as snow. As each and every one of us stand before the mercy seat of God, we have our one-on-one judgment from the righteous judge, the one who's worthy to judge. Oftentimes, I can catch myself thinking it's got to be the scariest day in my life coming. What I know Satan can levy against me. Because the scriptures tell us that Satan is going to press charges, so to speak. You're going to let him in? In case you missed it, God, let me mention some things about Todd. There's not a thing he's going to say that's going to be a lie at that time. But we have Christ, our advocate, one of the scriptural names for Jesus. Our advocate, just like a, an attorney. He's going to say, ah, paraphrasing. Nah, don't worry. I paid for that. My blood on the cross washed him white as snow. And we will be standing. I don't know. Just the way my mind works, this isn't scriptural. Sometimes I think all my fear, that might be the first time I look down and realize I'm white as snow. There's not a blemish on me. Because of what Christ's blood did for me. The night that Christ was with the disciples in the upper room, the Lord's Supper that we celebrate, he goes on to say in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. I'll ask Mark if he would get the lights for us. We'll have this time. I'm going to ask the man to stay up here, but move aside, give us room, and it's a great time for the altar call to come and maybe just examine our heart and make sure there's no type of spiritual blood clot in our life that's hindering God's work in and through our lives. And that while we may not be a respecter of persons, we may not show partiality in a lot of ways by which our culture describes it, but when we put our self-interest first, when we put our desires, our wants, our wishes over God's work through our lives, that's a respecter of person. That's partiality of oneself. And that would be a spiritual blood clot. This is sin that we bring into our lives. So as the music plays, the altar's open. These men will be happy to pray with you, myself. As the music plays, as the Lord leads you, let's use this time to...
surrender our heart. folks praying. You're here today and a message like this and we celebrated the Lord's Supper and talking about his death and burial and resurrection and the all illustrating the gospel that it's only the gospel that saves us Ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace are you saved by faith not of yourselves if you've never had the opportunity if you're here today and this gift this sacrifice this crucifixion death burial resurrection can't say today that you know for sure that you understand the gospel and have accepted Christ's work. Don't leave here today. We got men or ladies that can take you to a side room privately and share with you how you can know for sure and accept according to Romans 6.23 the greatest gift we've ever been given. It's the gift of our salvation. We'd love to talk to you and share that with you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again today for the sacrifice of your son. You can't imagine what that must have been like. Thank you for this wonderful day. We pray blessings on those that can't be here because of sickness or travel today. 
watch over them, guide and protect them on their way home. Thank you again so, for so much for all of our blessings that you bestowed us with, and it's all because of Jesus. Thank you for eternal gift to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.